and it's on page 1027 in your Bible. Luke 2, verse 8. <coughs> and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, to you, today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Well, what is your favourite song or hymn of worship, I wonder? I asked you to pick one. Um, would you know what to pick straight away? Or would you have to start rummaging through, through your mind for your favourite? I don't know. Um, or let's make it a bit more specific, shall we, as we um, just reflect on these things uh, for a few minutes this morning. What is your favourite Christmas carol? Have you got one? Have you sung it this year? Uh, any offers? Anybody at all? In the bleak midwinter at the back. Two votes for in the bleak midwinter. Oh, come all ye faithful. Careful on midnight clear. Is that why you're always at the midnight service, Brian? Yes. Oh, holy night. There are a lot, in fact, to choose from, aren't there? Um, if I had to pick one, uh, I would probably pick, well, it is difficult, isn't it? But maybe Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which we're going to come to in just a moment. Um, but that's for two reasons. The first is just that it's my favourite carol, and it's a good one to sing, uh, and it contains so much. But also because it does such a good job of helping us to think through the question of what Christmas is all about, because it's absolutely packed of good stuff. Um, Carols are kind of funny, aren't they, uh, in lots of ways. Some of the ones that we sing are not quite like some of the songs we sing at other times of year. I mean, there are some which are a bit strange, and we wonder, 
why churches started to sing them in the first place. Um, maybe Good King Wenceslas might come into, uh, into that category. Uh, there are some which are old-fashioned and hard to understand. Um, I know that what, the meaning of God rest ye merry gentlemen is often confused in, in people's minds for one reason or another. Uh, some are just a little bit twee and cute, perhaps. Uh, away in a manger is the one which most readily springs to mind. And some of them just contain stuff like um, you know, lots of donkeys and stables, let alone things like three ships coming sailing in, which we wonder what has it got to do with the whole Christmas story at all. Now, don't get me wrong, I love carols, and I'm quite happy to make excuses for some of the ones which seem a little bit strange as we go through the Christmas season. But hark, the herald angels sing. It has to be the king of carols, doesn't it? Uh, and it actually deserves to be rated not just as um, the best Christmas carol, but arguably the best hymn of worship that the church has at all, or certainly to be ranked right up there, I reckon. It's hard to think of another Christian hymn or song which is richer than Hark the Herald in terms of singing and reflecting on what the Bible has to say to us about the meaning of the Christian faith. And so, as we make our way through the Christmas season, having got the turkey and the sprouts and all the rest of it out of the way a few days ago, I just want us to pause for a few minutes just to reflect on some of the different ways in which this carol points us to Jesus. Um, because uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing uh, is one which gives us those kinds of depths. Um, it was originally published in 1739 by, do you know by who? Who wrote the words originally? Charles Wesley, um, the writer of so many uh, great hymns. Uh, and uh, you may know... Um, Love Divine, perhaps, or Over a Thousand Tongues to Sing. You may be able to think about a different favorite Wesley hymn. Most of the words we sing to Hark the Herald Angels are, are very much still the same. However, Wesley's original opening line, thankfully, was changed. He started with, Hark how all the welkin rings. Which uh, probably wouldn't have stood the test of time in, slight, in quite the same way. Um, apparently, welkin means something to do with heaven. I didn't know that until I read that a couple of weeks ago. And so, anyway, it's probably a good thing that Wesley's original was edited to some extent by a, 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 another famous English church leader and preacher, George Whitfield, a few years later on in 1758. And Whitfield's version is pretty much what we sing today. Wesley had five verses when he wrote his. Uh, Whitfield's, um, the first three are pretty much the same. And he took verses four and five and kind of combined them into one. Uh, and ended up with four verses and put it to a, a tune that was based on some music by Mendelssohn. All of those things probably explain a bit about how it has stood the test of time. If you've got Wesley, Whitfield and Mendelssohn involved, then that's a pretty good start, isn't it? Uh, but the real reason it's such a great song lies, I think, not just in the tune, but in the lyrics, because they're gospel lyrics. What is, what is Christmas all about? What is the good news? Well, it's the incarnation isn't it? At Christmas, the eternal God became a human being. The second person of the Trinity was laid in the hay. He stepped out of glory into our world and hark the herald angels sing about all of this. It's about what happens. And it's also about what it means for us now. And it's about how this is what the Bible points us to through the Old Testament and through the New Testament. Now, when I started thinking about this a few weeks ago and jotting down some of the Bible references which come to mind when we look at the words of this hymn, I quickly found myself with a sheet of A3 paper and the words of the hymn quite small down the middle and too many Bible references 
uh, to be able to use. It really is that rich. Um, every line, in some way, deserves reflection, and we don't have time for that this morning, or we'd be here till about midnight tonight, ready to celebrate New Year by the time I have finished. So I have brought something for you to take away today, uh, with some things to have a look at if you'd like to afterwards, or just to take away to celebrate this great carol if you don't want to. So I will bring these round. Uh, it's got the words of the carol on it. You can unfold it and see, um, and see what it looks like when you get one. There's one for Julie as well. And uh, I think there's just two or three there for you. So that we can have this in front of us while we're looking at it this morning. Two Brian's. I think there's two there. There's a couple there. Okay. One, two. I think there's at least three there. There you go. Hark the herald angels sing. What I've tried to do is, uh, is come up with a word which kind of summarizes one key thing from each of the four verses for us just to take away very quickly and very briefly this morning. If you unfold it like that, uh, you've got verses one and two on the front side and then verses three and four on the back side. So let's start with the one which says joy, because the Bible passage which kind of underlies Hark the Herald Angels Sing, of course, which is why we've read it again this morning, even though we read it last weekend, but why not at this time of year, is Luke chapter 2. It's the angels appearing to the shepherds on that night when Jesus was born. Hark just means listen, doesn't it? Listen to the angels praising God for this king who has been born to you. Listen to what they have to say and join in the worship. Join the triumph of the skies. The heart of verse 1 is that great line, joyful all ye nations rise. Um, it's the idea that this promised newborn king will be good news not just for Israel, but for all the people. Uh, Luke chapter 2 verse 10, the angel says to the shepherds, I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all the people. That's why Christmas is a joyful celebration. It doesn't mean, of course, that everything in our lives will, will be happy immediately. There are many people uh, this Christmas who are in the midst of difficult and sometimes sad circumstances. That might include some of us. And yet people like that have continued to celebrate the joy of Christmas. Because there is joy even in the midst of brokenness. And this first verse of the carol tells us why. The arrival of the newborn king brings peace on earth. We need that, don't we? And first and foremost, the peace that we need is peace between ourselves and God. Peace in our human relationships and in our families and communities and peace between nations flows out of the peace that Jesus came to win between people and God. So one of the verses I've put on, on the sheet there, Romans 5 verse 1 says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the angels were singing about. It's the piece which is about the mending of a broken relationship. This new baby king born to make the enemies of God into his friends. God and sinners reconciled. That is why Christmas is full of joy, first of all. But that's only the beginning of this great carol, because then we get to verse 2. And it's hard to pick a word for this one, but the one I went for was presence. Because Christmas is about God's presence with his people. That he's not distant, but that he is close. 
Now, there is all kinds of stuff in the first half of verse 2 that I don't have time to talk about this morning, and we can discuss it over coffee later on if you would like to. Um, things about Jesus as the Lord who reigns. When it says, late in time, behold him come, doesn't mean that Jesus was a bit tardy, that he was supposed to arrive sometime earlier, but he only turned up when he turned up. It just means that his, his coming was promised long before, and now is the time when that has been brought to fruition. Um, offspring of a virgin's womb, from Isaiah chapter 7, as quoted by the angel to Joseph in Matthew 1. But then we hit that great line at the heart of this second verse. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. And how many times have we sung these words? I've been singing them, well, I was going to say for 53 Christmases. I perhaps haven't quite been singing them for all 53. But many, many times. But just pause there and think about the enormity of what Jesus has done that, that those lines capture. The emphasis in both parts of that line is, is that Jesus is God himself and Jesus is a human being, fully human like you and me, and fully God. He doesn't stop becoming God in order to be born in Bethlehem. God isn't turned into a human. No, the Godhead is veiled in flesh, hidden, if you like, in a normal human body. That's the miracle of Christmas. Here he is. Praise him. Hail the incarnate deity, the God found in bodily form. And this is important because there is no other religion whose God does this. Every other belief system you can think of, in one way or another, ends up being based on our efforts to, to reach God, to reach nirvana, to find peace, to create hope for ourselves. And we can't do it. But the good news of Christmas is that God comes to us. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, being made in human likeness, as Paul puts it in Philippians, the word becoming flesh and dwelling with us, as John writes in his gospel. So it's a hymn about joy, and it's a hymn about presence. Um, thirdly, if you flip over onto the other side, this is a hymn about life and the life that Jesus gives. And this is why it's such good news. Um, and every line of this verse 3 speaks of the difference it makes that Jesus came at Christmas. And we've already spoken about peace, but the first line particularly reminds us of the reading from Isaiah chapter 9. And there's those lines about the Son of Righteousness, risen with healing in his wings. That's Son, S-U-N. It's a, a quotation from the last chapter of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, looking ahead to what God will still do. And it's the promise of the hope of a new day. The Son of Righteousness, the dawn of righteousness is coming. Which means there will be things like healing, where there is brokenness, and security, where there has been danger. But most of all, what does the light of the dawn bring? It brings life. Light and life to all he brings. A reminder that this baby in the, in the manger has come to bring eternal life. And the invitation is to all people. As John puts it, in him was the life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And that is why as Jesus lays his glory by, as he exchanges the glory of he heaven for the body of a human, 
He is born that man no more may die. He brings life and peace through his death. He's born to raise the sons of earth. Just as death couldn't hold him, it can't hold his people either. He's born to give us second birth, as Jesus would say to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And in Revelation 20, in John's vision of heaven, he says of all those who share in the resurrection of Jesus, second death has no power over them. Christmas is joyful because Jesus is present and he gives us life. That's our Christmas message in Heart the Herald Angels Sing. Okay, one last thing, because there is a bonus track this morning at the end of your CD, and it's victory. When Charles Wesley, as I said, wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing, he wrote five verses. When Whitfield adapted them a few years later, he took, Wesley, he took the best parts of Wesley's verses four and five and combined them into the fourth verse we have here. Uh, we don't often sing this verse at our Christmas services. Um, some of you may be familiar with it. Others may not be. I think it's understandable we don't sing it, to be honest, because most people visiting church would need, well, they probably wonder what on earth this verse was all about, if you read the words there. All this stuff about a second Adam, the desire of nations, let alone serpents' heads being bruised in us. And I think in general it's not the best of ideas to have a song in our church services which needs an explanation before any of us can sing it. That's probably not the best way to choose music, is it? But just for today... Because actually, when we do stop to think about verse 4, it just adds to our understanding about what Jesus has done at Christmas. And it points to the fact that his coming not only brings life and light and reconciliation and peace and all of those things, he came to bring victory. How do you get a victory? You fight, don't you? Maybe you've been doing it in a board game, another of those traditional Christmas pastimes over the last few days. To get a victory, you fight a battle and defeat your enemies. It's true in, in wars, it's true even in things like sports and games. One person or one team wins, the other loses. Jesus has an enemy, his enemy and our enemy is the evil one. In the Bible, sometimes called the devil, or the tempter, the accuser, Satan, and the serpent. And verse 4 of our carol takes us right back to the Garden of Eden, to Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve have rejected and disobeyed God and have been misled, uh, misled by the serpent or the snake, the one who's described in Revelation chapter 12 as that ancient snake called the devil who leads the whole world astray. Well, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, there is perhaps the first promise of good news good news of Jesus in the Bible, as God speaks to the snake and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, your seed and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's kind of cryptic, isn't it, there in Genesis chapter 3, but at the same time the meaning is very clear. One day there is going to be a descendant of Eve, unlike all other descendants. And he will be struck and wounded by the devil, as Jesus was at the cross. But the devil will be destroyed. He will be crushed by this saviour. And so we can sing, rise, the woman's conquering seed. That's Jesus winning the victory. Bruise in us the serpent's head. That's him dealing with our sin and its consequences and its power. 
removing in us the likeness of Adam, which we all carry, who was tempted and fell. Adam's likeness now effaced. Get rid of it. And replacing it with the image of Jesus in each of us who know him. Stamp thine image in its place. Paul in Romans and 1 Corinthians writes of Jesus as the second Adam. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Or as Wesley's hymn puts it, final Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. They're great lines, aren't they? So, sorry for those of you who said in the bleak midwinter, or a holy night, or anything else, this one's my favourite carol, and uh, we're going to sing it just now. Uh, And this is why I love Christmas, because it's about joy, and it's about the presence of God, and it's about the life that he gives us, and it's about victory, all because of Jesus, the baby who the angels were singing about.